Good morning all. Today I am starting with the essay, The Idea of Provincializing Europe. From page number 6, second paragraph. century anti-colonial democratic demands for self-rule harped insistently on a now as the temporal horizon of action. At the time of First World War to the decolonization movements of the 50s and 60s, anti-colonial nationalisms were predicated to this urgency of the now. Historism has not disappeared from the world, but it's not yet exist today in tension with the global insistence on the now that marks all popular movements toward democracy. This had been so far in the search for a mass base. Anti-colonial nationalist movements introduced classes and groups into the sphere of the political by the standards of 19th century European liberalism, and it included peasants, tribal, semi or unskilled industrial workers in Western cities, men and women from the subordinate social groups, and in short, the subordinate classes of the third world. A critique of historicism therefore goes to the heart of the question of political modernity in non-Western societies. If political modernity was to be a bounded and definable phenomenon, it was not unreasonable to use its definition as a measuring road for social progress. Within this thought, it could always be said with reason that some people were less modern than others and that the former needed a period of preparation and waiting before they could be recognized as full participants in political modernity. One was the national elites on rejection of the waiting room version of history when faced with the Europeans' use of it as a justification for denial of self-government to the colonized. The other was the 20th century phenomenon of the peasants full participant in the political life of the nation. And no longer he or she could uh, be formally educated into the doctrinal or conceptual aspects of citizenship. A dramatic example of this nationalist rejection of historist history is the Indian decision taken immediately after the attainment of independent-based Indian democracy on universal adult franchise. This was directly in violation of Mill's prescription, universal teaching. The members of the committee in Mill said in the essay on representative government um, must precede universal enfranchisement. Even the Indian Franchise Committee of 1931, which had several Indian members, struck to the position that was a modified version of Mill's argument. The members of this committee agreed that although universal adult franchise would be the ideal call for India, the general lack of literacy in the country posed a very large obstacle to its implementation. In defending the new constitution and the idea of popular sovereignty before the nation's constituent assembly on the eve of formal independence, Sarvapalli Radhakrishnan, later to be the first vice president of India, argued against the idea that Indians as a people were not yet ready to rule themselves. As far as he was concerned, Indians literate or illiterate were always suited for self-rule. Much of the institutional activity of governing in India is premised on a day-to-day practice of historism. There is a strong sense in which the person is still being educated and developed into the citizen. But every time there is a populist or political mobilization of the people on the streets of the country and a version of mass democracy becomes visible in India. 
The history and nature of political modernity in an ex-colonial country such as India thus generates a tension between the two aspects of the subaltern or peasant as citizen. One is the person who has to be educated into the citizen and who therefore belongs to the time of historism. The other is the person who despite his or her lack of formal education is already a citizen. This tension is akin to the tension between the two aspects of nationalism that Homi Baba has usefully identified as the pedagogic and the performative. Nationalist historiography in the pedagogic mode portrays the peasant's world with its emphasis on kinship, God, gods and the so-called supernatural as anachronistic. But the nation and the political are also performed in the carnival skew aspects of democracy. In the rebellions, protests, protest marches, sporting events and in university-added franchise, etc. Then come to the next topic, subaltern studies and the critic of historism. And this problem of how to conceptualize the historical and the political in a context where the person was already a part of the political was indeed one of the key questions that of the historiographic project of subaltern studies. Hobson's category, pre-political reverse, the limits of how far history's master's thought could go in responding to the challenge posed to European political thought by the entry of the person into the modern sphere of politics. Hamswam recognized that was a special to political modernity in the third world. He called peasants pre-political people who have not yet found or not only begin to find a specific language in which to express themselves. Capitalism comes to them from outside in this really by the operation of economic forces which they do not understand. In Hamswab's historical language, the social movements of the persons of the 20th century remained archaic. The analytical impulse of Hobsbawm's study belongs to a variety of historicism that Western Marxism has cultivated since its inception. Marxist intellectuals of the West and their followers elsewhere have developed a diverse hope, set of sophisticated strategies that allow them to acknowledge the evidence of incompleteness of capitalist transformation in Europe and other places while retaining the idea of a general historical movement from the pre-modern stage to that of modernity. These strategies include first the older now discredited evolutionist paradigms of the 19th century, the language of survivals and remnants are more times found in Marx's own prose, but there are other strategies as well. The point is whether they speak of uneven development of Ernst technology of the not synchronous. They all ascribe at least an underlying structural unity. The thesis of uneven development as James Chandler has perceptively observed in his recent study of romanticism goes in hand with the deep grid of a homogeneous empty type. By explicitly quoting the idea of the person's consciousness as pre-political, Guha was prepared to suggest that the nature of collective action by persons in modern India was such that it effectively stretched the category of the political far beyond the boundaries assigned to its European political thought. The political sphere in which the person and his masters participated was modern for what else could nationalism be but modern political government of self-government and it did not follow the logic of secular national calculations inherent in the modern conception of the political. This peasant but modern political sphere was not bereft for the agency of God, spirits and other supernatural beings. Social scientists may classify such agencies under the rubric of peasant beliefs. Of course, this was not all said once and with anything like the clarity one can achieve with hindsight. Guha Sorry Therefore, 
for example passages in elementary aspects of person insurgency in colonial india in which guha i don't know how to pronounce that his name follows the tendencies general to european marxist or liberal scholarship he sometimes reads undemocratic relationships issues of direct domination and subordination that involves the so-called religious or the supernatural survivals of the pre-capitalist does not quite modern and hence as indicative of problems of transition to capitalism the everyday relations of power that involve kinship gods and spirits that the present dramatically exemplified could even with justice called pre-political thank you